Uh, Father, we do pray for, there's just been a lot of illness, a lot of sickness, a lot of uh, critical issues that have come up recently in our body. Um, uh, we think of Perry and Melanie, and we just pray for continued healing there. We pray for uh, uh, Jenny Piker. I just remembered that that's probably what I was going to say um, with um, her diverticulitis acting up this morning, and I just pray that you would be with her and comfort her. We pray for Steve and Brenda. pray that you would please uh, allow this issue to be resolved. Pray that a bed would open up sooner rather than later in Portland, and we pray that you would um, be with them and uh, comfort them uh, and strengthen them as they go. Lord, we ask for this morning as we um, continue to finish up the Elder Doctrinal Statement and we get the privilege of discussing just doctrine and what does your word teach and how to understand it and how to apply it. I pray that you would bless the morning, that you would bless our discussion, um, and that you would be honored. Um, we ask these things and pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, I am going to, uh, so where we're at in the statement, we we technically finished the church last weekend, but we were up against it. Um, we were up against the clock last time, so I'm going to back up to the last two paragraphs. Um, since there were, um, there's still questions and comments on that stuff, and I just want to give you guys every opportunity to uh, to ask questions, to talk it through, because that's what we want to do. So I'm going to back up to baptism and the Lord's Supper. And uh, if everything's good, we'll move along. But if you guys have questions, comments, that's fine. I think there are there are three, uh, looks like three um, printed statements up here. So if you guys need one or need a hard copy, um, they're, uh, they're sitting right up here. So um, Julie's, yeah, this should be right there. I don't know if I've got another... Oh, I've got my announcement sheet sticking on top of that. Yeah, thanks. So Julie's got them if you need one. All right, so uh, we are on uh, Baptism, Lord's Supper. Again, I just want to back up, reread those, make sure if anyone has any questions or comments, we, we get to those. So uh, we believe uh, that the two ordinances, so this is the it's page 11 in mine. I have, I've updated a couple things, so uh, I think it's page 11 in yours, maybe, maybe 10, yeah. The ten at the top. Okay, uh, we believe that two ordinances have been committed to the local church: uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Christian baptism by immersion is the solemn and beautiful testimony of a believer showing forth his faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior, and his union with Him in death to sin and resurrection to a new life. Baptism is also an affirmation by the local church that the one baptized is indeed, by all that can be seen, a disciple of Christ and a member of Christ's church. Baptism is an initial sign of fellowship and identification with the visible body of Christ and therefore ordinarily confers membership into the local church performing the baptism. Okay, uh, we, we kind of, we've talked about this a lot, um, this, the, the symbolism, um, not only for the universal church, but as you're kind of publicly entering or portraying your entrance into the universal church, uh, at the local church is the embassy, the local representation of the universal church, so that's why we say it uh, normally should confer uh, membership or ordinarily confer membership into the local church. Are there any other just follow-up questions or comments on this? I just Again, we talked about it last week. I just want to make sure we're all in the, we're all okay. Yeah, Ken. 10, page 10. Um, it should be like the two paragraphs before the end of that section. Um, so the... Bottom of page 10, top of page 11. Um, so un under the church, so right before, that's a couple paragraphs before spheres of authority, 
we're talking about that uh, second to, to last paragraph. So, okay. Um, good, great. Any, any other questions, comments on this paragraph? What we mean by it, what we're saying as elders? Okay, all right, great. Then uh, this is the one where we were right up against the clock. So we believe that the Lord's Supper is the covenant remembrance and proclamation of Christ's death until he comes and should always be preceded by solemn examination. We believe that the Lord's Supper is the sign of the new covenant and, a and is a meal for the members of a local church to partake in when assembled together as the whole church to display the local manifestation of the one body of Christ on earth. Uh, partaking in this covenant sign is not an individual exercise, but one in which one actively remembers one's solidarity and unity with Christ and his body because of Christ's purchase of the church through his death. Uh, since the Lord's Supper is a display of solidarity and unity of those who are members of Christ's body, we believe that only members of the local church or those who are members of another faithful local church who happen to be visiting should partake in the Lord's Supper. Uh, because believer baptism by immersion is the initial public declaration of membership in Christ's universal and local church, only those who have been so baptized ought to partake in the Lord's Supper. And so we had a couple questions on this last time, but then we kind of ran out of time. So I just want to make sure that uh, any questions, comments, that those didn't get cut off at all. So um, any questions of what the elders mean and don't mean by this? Yes, David. Yeah, that's, um, oh, in terms of, well, we do. It says because believer baptism. Is that what you're talking about on the, that, 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 uh, that last sentence there? Because believe, believer baptism? That's what we mean. Like we're saying we're going to baptize a believer like, like you're talking about because we want to make sure we're, we're um, even though we're not, we don't have the name Baptist anymore. We still believe in uh, those Baptist uh, convictions because we believe they're biblical convictions. So is, is, that, is that what you're talking about, David? Okay. Because that's our intention by what we're saying here is exactly what you're talking about. So that we're talking about believer baptism and we're talking by immersion. Uh, there are, there are corner cases. I remember one case in the church in Spokane where the person was a believer, but they were wheelchair-bound, and you can't dunk them in that scenario. So uh, we still we sprinkled in that case, but that's like kind of a corner case. Um, and we said, all right, that's, that's legitimate because of the circumstances. We understand that. Um, versus something like um, baptizing a baby, right? Um, that's different. Uh, it's on a different order, so, yeah. Any other questions? Eden, did I see your hand going up? Oh, you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that's, you know, that we're trying to articulate is that we, 
when we that the Lord's Supper and baptism, we, we so often think of them as individual things, and they are that, so we don't want to discount that at all. They are individual things are happening, but there's also something corporate happening. And so when you've got the corporate and the body involved, um, in each case, the body is using its authority to say, uh, hey, uh, we see that this one is a disciple, and it's doing it in an initial way through baptism, um, and it's doing it in an ongoing way through the Lord's Supper. And so as soon as you bring in that element, that, that's what all of this language is trying to articulate, that when we think of membership, we're not just talking about signing on the dotted line, but we're talking about kind of that idea of ownership and accountability for each other. And that's displayed in certain ways that Christ himself has given to us. And so when we exercise those things that Christ himself has given to us to affirm other people's discipleship, we want to make sure we are doing it right and we are um, affirming the right people. Because the worst, it's dangerous to affirm someone in their discipleship who you don't know whether they're a believer or not, right? Because if someone just comes up and says, well, hey, uh, I can take this because I'm a believer, but no one else kind of knows that, it's like they're kind of getting affirmed in their conscience that I'm a Christian, I can partake in this, when the body around them may or may not know. Um, so it's the kind of that mixture of accountability and display and all of those things. So we're not trying to be arbitrary in any of this. We're trying to um, articulate, like, okay, here's the function or part of the function of the ordinances, and how do we operate in a way that Christ has given them to us, and we want to use them in the way that he designed them. So I don't know if that helps a little bit or clarifies, but it's still, it's, it's unfamiliar. I will grant you that. It's, it was unfamiliar to me a couple years ago, um, so I'm full disclosure there. So there's a lot of thinking that has to go on with it, and that's fine, and that's why we keep talking about it, so that we can think together about it. Right. 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 And there, th that's, the, that's the thing, is the reason we would, because there are some churches that practice totally closed, meaning you may be a believer at another church, but we don't know you, so we're just going to limit it to our members that we do know. But I think that what we're trying to do is, and we kind of talked about this last week, that it does seem in the New Testament that you've got a category for people bouncing around from church to church. And again, if you think in terms of that, the local church is part of that universal organism of the universal church. You're trying to allow for that um, because it seems like scripture would, would allow for that. Um, you're right, we don't know that person. So all we can do is say, well, you should be a member um, baptized at another church. You should belong as much as you can. I remember Stan asked me um, back in January, he's like, well, what if, the, what if the other church they're coming from doesn't practice membership, formal membership? And I said, well, really what you, should, what, what you would want to say to that person is, do you belong as much as you can? <laughs> right? Are you, do people know you? Do the leadership there know you and know they're accountable to hold you accountable? And do the other members know that, right? And um, 
so there, there are definitely cases because of where we're at historically where we just can't, we, we can do the best we can to match what, what Christ has said. We just don't want to uh, intentionally leave it too open to where um, you're affirming someone who really shouldn't be affirmed, right? So there's still holes, and we, we acknowledge, right? Like, ultimately, it's the Lord that's going to deal with that, and we understand that. We just want to use the tool, uh, or tool's the wrong word. We want to use the ordinances in the way that Christ designed them as best as we can where we're at historically. So, yeah, Julie. Right. Absolutely. Ultimately, it is. Ultimately, that's it. So you're, you've got responsibility on the individual side. You've got responsibility on the corporate church's side. And you've got Christ who has commanded these things. So the individual is responsible to practice rightly. The church is responsible to um, practice rightly. And so even though you can't ultimately control that individual's practice, right, um, you we're trying to make sure that the things we are responsible for as a, as a body, as, um, as a church, we're doing those. But Jim's right. Like, we fence, we say all that we can. You can't ultimately control that individual. They're responsible directly to the Lord. Uh, we're responsible as a corporate body um, to the Lord, and we want to make sure we're practicing things on our end as best we can. Um, so that's kind of how that works. Julie. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I th- I think it would have to be something like, um, so you excommunicate, meaning practice the full extent of first church discipline on someone, and they want to in defiance come up. That might be a situation where uh, you would. To, to do that, right? Because that's what part, a huge part of church discipline is, is you're removing them from the table fellowship. Um, and it would be very awkward, but it would be, um, but that's part of actually how church discipline is supposed to function. It's supposed to be awkward because you're in sin and you're walking in sin and you're still claiming to be a believer, right? Right, yeah, so someone who, there, but there are other cases, right, like someone's coming forward that, like, we've warned, we've talked, and they still come forward, um, but they're not, like, under church discipline, um, then probably what we would like to do is have a conversation with that person afterwards, and we're saying, look, we've, we, because of this, and because, it, because these are serious matters, right, so someone unbaptized comes forward and takes communion, um, you know, am I going to slap that away? No, um, probably not, because I've warned ahead of time. Yeah, but, uh, but 
But I would still love to have a conversation with that person after and say, look, friend, do you understand the solemnity and the seriousness of baptism? You're unwilling to go public with your faith, um, and that's a very serious matter. And, you know, there's the case where someone just hasn't been taught. That's different, right, where someone just hasn't been taught about what baptism means and all of that. That's, that's different than someone who knows better um, and does that, right? And we, we want to shepherd that person. We want to say, here's why it's important, and here's why we say this. This isn't arbitrary. This is the way, you know, Christ designed it. So, um, but again, in all of those things, even the excommunication issue, right, it's all about where's that person's heart at, and, and we want to have a conversation with you. We don't want to just say no, get away. We want to say, no, we want you here. <laughs> and we want you having table fellowship with us, but you got to do it the way Christ uh, wants it. So, and that's the whole issue. So, yeah. But you got to realize, right, there are situations. I mean, you can see this in the early church. Think of Simon the Magician in Acts 8, right? Uh, they baptized him. They thought he was a believer. It turns out it looks like he's not. Um, so the church can get it wrong, right? So what we're trying to do is be faithful to what we can see and what we can do, but we ultimately do have to trust the Lord um, for the rest of it. So that's always going to be the case. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Leo. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it kind of gets tied in then if you practice it as um, the, the, um, people, people need to be baptized before they take communion, that kind of gets tied together because then it, the question is, well, when do you baptize someone? Uh, because as soon as you baptize them, right, you've welcomed them into membership, you've, welcomed, you've affirmed their discipleship. So that's a very tricky issue. Um, but basically, um, you want to... Um, doesn't matter whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, right? You want to make sure as far as you can see and are able uh, to affirm that person's discipleship in such a way that they understand what they are doing, what they're taking upon themselves by way of responsibility. Um, and so uh, the, the trick is, is that discerning are you doing this to please mom and dad? Are you doing this because it's popular, it's socially acceptable? Or are you doing this because you love Christ and you understand that you're going public with your faith? Um, and so I strongly caution um, uh, early baptisms because of that reason, right? There just needs to be, you know, you grow up and you become independent, and as soon as you become independent, right, the question is, there's always that question, is the faith yours or is your faith your parents? Not saying that children can't be saved. They obviously can. There's no question about that. But it's hard to discern, like, when is that happening? So, um, and it would be a case-by-case -case basis, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, David. Yes. Right, right, right. Yeah. The, again, it would come back to that argument that um, 
in that society, um, what you're doing, you know, in the first century, what you're doing in baptism was more socially costly, um, meaning that you're stepping out, you're going public, and then you have a target on your back, versus where we're at culturally, um, it is like the world doesn't care, really, um, at, at worst, you know, and then, um, so it's kind of a socially neutral or positive thing in our culture, and so um, there take it takes more discernment because what you're doing as a local church by baptizing someone is you're you're taking uh, a responsibility, saying by all that we can see, this one's a disciple. So someone becomes a believer, um, and you're like, all right, let's let's we we celebrate with you, but we're also uh, cautious. Um, because we don't want to uh, affirm someone who is who is who is not. So that's the that's why we have a a, a gap in our culture. Versus a Muslim country today, or a um, even like a say the Chinese church today, right? It's a it's a socially negative value. And in fact, those cultures, they're looking for when uh, you hear of cases where people are looking for when people get baptized because that's when they're going to kill them, right? Someone wants to get baptized in that culture, uh, the day they get converted, absolutely I'm doing it because they understand what's going on and they understand the cost. Uh, and so it's just that matter of discernment um, on the part of who are the, the, the local church who's doing the baptizing and the cultural condition that they're in. So, yeah. Any others? Because let me back up. It kind of connects with the child thing and the baptism thing. What we don't want and what has happened in the last 100, 200 well, let's say the last 100, 150 years, is that baptismal ages have dropped. And then you guys know, and I know, that uh, of people that they got baptized when they were seven, eight, nine, you know, just multiple times. And then the person gets confused. Because biblically and theologically, you got baptized one. You might got wet in church multiple times, but you got baptized once uh, because there's only one, one baptism. But it just confuses the issue, not only for that person, but then it confuses the issue for the people watching as well, right? It gets like, what, wait, so are they a Christian again? Did they lose their salvation and come back? You know, like it just gets confusing. So remember, baptism is a portrayal of the gospel, right, and gospel realities. And so uh, we have to take into account our culture and history and where we're at uh, and while still trying to, to honor its meaning um, from the scriptures, so. Any others? These are good questions. I appreciate them. Going once. Going twice. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Emily. Yeah. Uh, I, as far as I can tell. Uh-huh. No. Uh, at least the elders would disagree on that, that position. The, and actually what's great about this is in a few weeks we're going to actually break for a ser- series on the family. 
but the family has different responsibilities than the church, which actually is the next section in the, the, the doctrinal statement, the spheres of authority issue. Different spheres have different authority for different things. So God has designated the family for very uh, um, important things, but it's not a church. Um, it, it's, it's by its nature, right? So because you could have a biological family and maybe some of the people, even in a Christian, like the parents are Christians, but maybe you've got, you know, um, you know, not all of the, the children yet professing faith, right? Okay. So what I think I hear you saying is we've gathered together for family worship, which is absolutely good, and families should do that. That is good. Um, and there are situations and seasons where it's like, okay, we can't gather or we're all sick or whatever, and so we're going we're gonna to have family worship or, or, or whatever at home today. That's good. That just still doesn't make you in a local church. Uh, right preaching, preaching of the word and right practice of the ordinances. That's kind of the Reformation answer, the short answer, to what is, how do you recognize when you have a a church, when people covenant together um, to practice the preaching of the word and the ordinances together. So something like a small group within a church even, it's kind of an analogous scenario really, you, that gathering of uh, Christians from the church is a gathering, but it's like not the gathering. Because that's what membership is all about. We're covenanted together uh, to, pra- to be a local assembly, to be a local church, to pra- preach the word and to practice the ordinances and to practice things like church discipline. Well, um, you would have to, uh, like that two or three principle, right? You, um, you, you have to have, so you, that principle from Matthew 18 of two or three gathering into Christ's name for the purpose of being able to affirm or deny each other's discipleship. And so you would have to, uh, as a group and as individuals, come together and say, we're going to preach the word and we are going to affirm one another's discipleship, and we're going to practice the ordinances. But um, at that point, then you, you're, your, you're, you're your own church, and you would not just be your own family, right? You'd be reaching out to others, and others would be gathering in to like a home church scenario or whatever. And then essentially, right, um, you would not be a member of uh, or participant or anything in this church, right? Because you formed your own outpost, you formed your own embassy to do those things. What's that? Well, because that's what the church is designed to do, right, is to proclaim the gospel. So it's not just, we like each other, we're going to hang out, or we're a family, we're going to hang out, but you're coming together uh, as a church 
uh, to, preach the to, to preach, to practice the ordinances, and what's the purpose of the church? What's the mission of the church? To make disciples. So then you have to, uh, you're helping each other in making each other disciples, but then you're outreaching um, to gather more in, um, into that, that gathering. So, yeah. The reason would being would be um, we have a process for publicly and formally recognizing we are taking responsibility for you and for your walk in discipleship. Um, just like, you know, we go to the waters of baptism, right? What are we saying? We're saying, by all that we can see, you're a disciple. We affirm you in that, and we're taking accountability for you. We're, we're going to oversee your walk. We're going to help you grow. If you go off the rails, we're going to discipline you, um, and we have a formal process for that. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge assurance, right? That's great because people that are closest to you are affirming that discipleship. But remember, a lot of these actions that we're taking with the local church, they are given to the whole body, to the membership, to say, uh, yes, we affirm you, which is a huge boon, right? Uh, not only to have those closest to you affirm your discipleship, but then the local body of believers to say, yeah, we see you, Emily, and we we, uh, we see your discipleship. We want to affirm you in that, and it's uh, and so that everyone sees that. That's why we do like the public um, affirmations, is so that all the membership or whoever happens to be there that day gets to hear your testimony, get to know you a little bit better, and then say, yeah, this is great. Um, and now we know that person's in the same boat. We're partnering with them uh, to do the work of ministry together. Um, yeah, and that's the reason we do the announcement three weeks before, in case someone else in the community said, okay, we're, we're proposing this person for membership, and let's suppose someone else happens to know, ooh, uh, there's some huge question marks here, and that person comes forward uh, and maybe t should talk to you first and then to the elders and say, hey, there's some question marks here, and we talk about it, we discuss those things, but um, that's why we have that waiting period, because it's a very public um, it's a public thing that's happening um, with the members of the church. So, yes, I what the elders would say yes. Yeah, that's a good question. So that's the, that's a good question, right? So we go back to First Corinthians eleven. Well, uh, well, there's really three passages in 1 Corinthians that tie together for this. Um, but let's, let's take a pit stop first at 1 Corinthians 5. Huh. Um, so 1 Corinthians 5, you got a church discipline situation... But one of the things that you um, see in this is that the whole church is involved, meaning 
everyone knows who everyone else is in that local church, and there's an inside and there's an outside. So um, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'm going to... I'm going to draw multiple observations, and I'm going to tie these threads together of why we would say communion happens in the local church. But this passage is one of those things. So 1 Corinthians 5.12, just in the summer, where Paul ends, he says this, For what what have I to do with judging outsiders, so there's those outside, is it not those inside the church whom you, referring to the Corinthians, are to judge? So the Corinthians have to be able to recognize who is inside, who's inside our local church, uh, to be able to practice church discipline, to be able to say, no, um, you're a so-called brother, and that's the language that Paul uses earlier, you're a so-called brother, but you're not walking like it, it. Um, but we know who you are, you're claiming to be inside the church, but you're not, so we're going to practice church discipline on you. But then backing up... um, Verse 9, what does this entail, this church discipline for this person in this case who's recognized uh, as a so-called brother in the community? I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, uh, since uh, then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So part of um, church discipline is you're recognizing this person bears the name so-called brother. They're inside the church. They're not, they're not walking the way they ought to walk. So the final step of church discipline is to exclude them from eating and associating with that person, which means, by implication, they're not partaking in the Lord's Supper right? Because that's table fellowship in the local church, and you're not supposed to, uh, we're saying, no, you're barred from that. We can't, we can't even eat with you because you were saying you're a so-called brother, you're in the church, but you're not walking like it. We're barring you from communion. Now, that's one aspect, uh, one perspective on it. First Corinthians 10, you see another facet of it. Um, the, the issue here is The Corinthians are like, hey, we know a lot of stuff, and um, I can both associate with, let's just say, the temple of Artemis. Uh, I don't remember one of the, I don't remember the gods in in, in Corinth, but let's just say it's Artemis. You can't, we we know a lot of stuff, we know Artemis is a false god, there's no reality to that, but we can still have table fellowship with our friends in the temple of Artemis, and we can also have table fellowship with our Christian friends over here. And Paul is pushing back against this uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 14 uh, through 22. And he says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation? And this is the word koinonia, and it has the idea, especially in that culture and time, of a joint venture together that you're partners together, like in a business venture, it could be a, you know, a marriage, it could be something else, could be just, uh, you know, could be a joint venture in a temple and following a false, uh, a god, right? That's the, that's what the word participation, I prefer the word partnership, that's a valid translation. It's not a, is it not a partnership in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a partnership 
in the body of Christ. So what is he talking about? He's saying, look, we partake in communion, and what that's symbolizing is we're partners together. We're partners together in the joint venture of the gospel and sharing in Christ. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. When we partake in the communion elements together, uh, we are saying that I'm partaking and you're partaking. We are partners together as a local church in the joint venture of the gospel. Um, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Uh, consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. So you've got the Old Testament priesthood and the priests, which now in Christ, we're all priests, um, those who trust in Christ, right? But when you partake at table together, you're displaying that um, together. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that the, an idol is anything? No, I imply that when pagan uh, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants or partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So one of the things you see in this passage is um, what's happening in the Lord's Supper is you are saying this is our God and we are joint partners together in worshiping this God, um, and we're not going to worship or participate with our other friends going to the temple of Artemis, our neighbors, let's just put it that way. Uh, we can't eat with them because we are portraying something. And so it's not so much um, w the principle that we learn for this is not only is communion an individual exercise, it's a, dis it's a corporate display. It's a corporate display of partnership uh, together. Um, and then you see another aspect of that in 1 Corinthians 11, which is the communion passage we always go to, um, starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, now, even that, that's important because what is Paul saying? He's going to talk about communion. He's saying, this, this is what you do when you come together. This is what you do when you come together as a church. In fact, I think he says a little bit later on, when you come together as a church. Yeah, he says it like in the same sentence. When you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church. So you've got the assembly coming together for this meal. And it seems like every time they assemble together as an early church, they partook in communion and had a meal together. I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. So Paul is starting off and saying, hey, look, you guys are, uh, well, let me keep reading. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now, they would have been surprised at that because the Corinthian church is saying, hey, we're coming together as a church, and we're coming together to take the Lord's Supper. And Paul's being very forceful, and he's saying, you guys think you're taking the Lord's Supper, but you're not. Why? Because of divisions. Because of divisions. So then you've got that corporate aspect again uh, that he keeps building on. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? 
Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, when the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, The cup, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup in the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. In context, the unworthy manner is you're eating and drinking in such a way to create factions and divisions in the church. You're, you're going ahead with your own meal. It, you made it an individual thing versus making it a corporate thing. Um, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And in context, especially 1 Corinthians 10, when Paul talks about the body, he's not talking about an individual, he's talking about the church. And the idea is when you're partaking the Lord's Supper, you're discerning the body. You're saying, here is the body of Christ. Um, that's his whole point, right? Because we don't want divisions. We want to discern and see who is part of the one body of Christ, the local church, um, the, the local manifestation of that one body of the universal church. Um, forever uh, eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves, all of us, Truly, we would not be judged, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So again, you take those three passages together, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22 and then this section and it becomes pretty clear that okay this is not about individuals this is about us together showing and displaying our partnership together in Christ in the gospel well in order to do that um, you have to be able to judge meaning discern in this case who's the body and who's not and everyone has to do that because if I'm partaking of the Lord's Supper over here and that person over there is partaking of the Lord's Supper, are we in the same boat? Are we in the same joint venture of the gospel? Because that's part of what we're portraying together by partaking together. So is that, that's kind of the, the theological backing for all of that. You're good.
Great. Well, the problem is, is that what is the church? It's a collection of people who have covenanted together to practice the um, preaching and the ordinances. So everyone, remember, this is like you're coming together, and you need to. See, everyone needs to see everyone, in that sense, and know and affirm. Like when we participate together, as we partake together, we're essentially as a church affirming that other person. So everyone essentially needs, the picture is everyone's affirming everyone, so everyone needs to know. That's why we do it so publicly. So going back to the whole membership thing about signing uh, a statement, that's not, that's how we, and I get it, right, like that's how we normally think about membership, because when you go to Costco, or you join the Eagles, or whatever it happens to be, right, you have to go through this process and sign a piece of paper. But biblically, there's no necessarily signing a piece of paper uh, it's about us affirming one another in our discipleship. So yes, there's a process. Um, there's always a process. There was a process even in the um, early church. You believe, you get baptized, that's how we're affirming you. Um, and so, you know, today we still have a process that basically goes through that. You believe, we want to hear your, your confession of faith, and uh, we want to affirm you, and we want the whole body to hear that profession of faith and to affirm you and to say, yeah, we're taking ownership for this individual to walk alongside them, to help them to follow Jesus. So that's why we keep, we, we, we need to get out of the, um, the mindset of thinking membership is signing the piece of paper. Yes, there is a signing of a piece of paper uh, somewhere along the line, but that's not, that's not the substance of what membership is. It just makes the administrative process easier, and there's, um, that's, that's all that's going on. So, um, uh, so, so uh, there was one other thing. The other thing about it is, remember how we said that every, every Christian is a priest, right? Every Christian is part, uh, has a gift to use in the local body. There are priests to uh, partake and show their par participation in Christ's sacrifice together. Well, that's a pretty hefty office, isn't it, to be a priest, and, you know, there's other church offices too, isn't there? There's eldership, there's deaconship. And just like I couldn't, I can't self-elect to be a pastor. Now, I could have a desire to be a pastor, right? And I could pursue that. But what did I need in my life to become a pastor? I didn't need to go to seminary, although that was helpful, you know, to get some knowledge. What did I need? I needed the church and the current pastor, current pastors in the church to affirm me and say, yes, Chris, has um, we affirm him as a gospel minister. We affirm him to that office. So another way you can think about membership is it's an office. It's the church affirming that, uh, yeah, this one's a priest, and we want them to join us as a priest together, but you can't self-elect. You can't self-select. You can't just, like, show up and say, oh, I'm going to hang around until people recognize me to be a priest, you need to submit to the local church being able to say, yeah, join us, and we're going to uh, affirm uh, your, your participation in that office to use your gifts of, for ministry in the local church. So there's kind of multiple angles to look at 
at all of this, but it, but it all comes together. So yeah, Ken, I think you had your hand up. Yeah, the universal church would basically be, so, and you see it, Paul slips back and forth between the two quite, quite organically, because it is organic, but basically the universal church is um, all the people who are um, be- believers in Christ uh, and are recon- reconciled to him, and that, that's uh, um, over the whole globe, whole world, but really the whole universal church hasn't been gathered yet, has it? Right? You're waiting until Christ's second coming for that whole big old assembly, the whole family, to get gathered. And so that whole big old assembly won't be revealed until the end of time. Uh, now, someone might ask, well, what about the Old Testament saints? Well, yeah, they're, they're saved by Christ. Um, it, it, some, somehow, <laughs> and I don't fully quite get the picture of this, but they'll be the part of the family too. But that's at the end of time with the resurrection stuff, right? Well, the whole big old family of those who have been reconciled in Christ will be seen and displayed. So no one has ever seen the universal church, right? The universal church, is a, it, 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 it's real, but it's currently being gathered. No one has ever seen it. Uh, it's not even true to say that all believers who are currently living on the planet are the universal church, um, because that's still a portion. We're talking about the whole family um, through all of time. Um, and so all we get right now is a microcosm, a picture, a snapshot, a representative in local church. Uh, that's where the universal church exists, is in local churches. So there's no, there's not, there's not a New Testament category for, like it's, there are exceptions, like you can think of like the Ethiopian eunuch, he, he hears the gospel, he believes, he's baptized, so he's kind of the lone believer, and then Philip goes away, right? But then he goes off into Ethiopia, he proclaims the gospel, and then we can even know that this is true historically, that uh, then a church sprung up once there were enough critical mass of people to form a church. So the New Testament doesn't know of a believer who is unconnected to a local church. Because you need, how do you, else do you fulfill the commands to, for one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to serve one another? Who are the leaders that you're submitting to, right? Um, so there's, we like to think that there's a category of a believer who's part of the universal church apart from a local church. And yeah, you can think of those corner cases, but that's not the design. The design is for every, every believer to be part of, aka a member of, a local church. So, And all the letters, right? Uh, they're written to local churches. Jesus loves the local church because we can see that in Revelation 2 through, 3, uh, 2 through 3. He's addressing local churches. He knows what's going on in the churches. He knows what they need. He knows where they're faltering. Um, so Jesus loves the local church. Um, so it's just, I mean, to be fair and frank, I think it's our individualistic American culture that has really done a disservice in how we think about how we're a part of the church. And so we don't get the church, and we saw that during covid we see that during other things which is why we've talked about this so much is we're trying to reclaim and understand this is who we are this is part of who we are as god's people and as christians and part of how we would honor him and so that's why we keep coming back to these so
Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Or you cross that line and you're part of the in crowd. Mm-hmm. Or you've gone one step further and now you're going to be able to talk to or be able to jerk out to your in-crowd employee. Right. Just use both lines and that responsibility on a, on a legal level. Right. You know, there's very clear distinctions there. But by trying to erase that line, it, it, it's not fully erased. And that's what Judge Lucas was addressing. Because you've got this group in the middle that... Uh-huh. But because they never made it on a legal level, now they they don't know where they are. Right. You know, <laughs> and I think that's really what all of this conversation is about, is that people don't know where they are. Yeah. You know, I think I'm part of God's church, so why, why, right. is this, I mean, why am I suddenly the bad guy just because I'm wearing my uniform? Right. Part of the problem on this is historical. So no one's we're, no one's, we're not trying to make anyone out to be the bad guy. We're trying to inform, here's what the scriptures say. Like the New Testament doesn't, doesn't have a category for an unbaptized believer. And baptism was that initial entry public mark into the local church. Well, now historically we're in this weird situation where, yeah, there's mixtures, but membership is not about voting. Um, yeah. I know what you're saying, yeah. What we're trying to do is we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to tell people, like, you have a role. You have a very, very important role. Christ wants you part and committed publicly to his local church. Uh, believers in each local church were known. They were known um, through their profession, through their visibleness. They all worked together, Right. Um, and it wasn't, uh, Christianity is not a private religion, it's a public religion. Um, I can't, I have individual faith, praise the Lord by his grace that he gives me individual faith, but then for my benefit and for my, the joyful responsibility he gives me is to commit publicly to um, my local brothers and sisters to work together. And so then there's, like you say, there's this weird quasi thing where um, people are kind of hanging around, but like, are you in? Are you out? Am I responsible for you as a pastor? I don't know. Um, and so, yeah. 
Right. Exactly. Why you well, and that's what we're trying to. That's why we're trying to highlight this so much, is we're trying to. We're not trying to do this. We're trying to do this. We're trying to say you have a responsibility. You have a role. We're pointing up the the high calling of being a member, and how the New Testament talks about that, and we're saying come, commit, join up, uh, because Christ wants you to. Um, and there's a function and a role that happens when that comes about uh, that's for your good and also for the responsibility and the honor of Christ. Um, so let's keep talking. I mean, that's part of it. I'm not, none of us are expecting, like, this is, like I said, this was new for me a couple years ago. So we're just keep talking. We keep asking questions. We keep having good dialogue like this. This is good. So, and we keep praying, right? We keep praying for understanding and understanding of what the scriptures say and what they would have us do. So, um, yeah, let's pray. Father, we um, pray we come together, we're coming together here shortly um, as your local church to, to sing um, together, to honor your name, to encourage one another, to preach your word, um, to, um, and to next week uh, practice uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, we thank you for the responsibility that you've given to us we pray for understanding on these things. They are difficult, um, and there's many reasons they're difficult. Um, pray that you would give us clarity as a body. Um, pray that you would give us understanding um, and uh, love for you and desire to practice what you would have us practice and help us to discern what that is. Um, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for these people. Um, thank you for their love for you, and uh, pray that you would uh, bless the rest of our morning, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.